Hey, thanks for joining us this morning. We're excited to be here. Uh, for those of you that are here for the first time or just getting to know us, we are a church that is passionate about uh, what God um, has accomplished in our lives. We are grateful for what God has done in our lives and, uh, and, and grateful that God has invited us to participate in his good work uh, throughout creation, his good work here in the Tri-Cities and our community. Uh, it's been a cool summer. We've had a lot of opportunity to work with a lot of different organizations and serve in a lot of ways. You're heard about Jubilee, one of our projects coming up. Uh, we've gotten to work with Second Harvest and uh, World Relief. And um, just this last week, we had two projects that were really neat uh, that, that some of you were able to be out with us. Um, we, we got to serve lunch to the uh, Kennewick Police Department uh, just as a, as a sign of appreciation for what they do in our community. And it was fascinating um, to be in their space and uh, to see their hospitality and, and to see their deep appreciation and love for our community. Uh, two of the captains spent over an hour taking us on a tour of the facilities and talking just really honestly and openly about the challenges of our community and 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 uh, the challenges that the police force is facing. And um, it, it was pretty beautiful to see that transparency and to get get to engage that way. And then, um, as many of you know, in in our last church's tithe uh, back to our community and 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 giving, um, we gave uh, to a veteran over in Benton City who um, an organization called Rebuild, Rebuilding Mid Columbia um, who was building a, a ramp for a disabled veteran uh, here in our community. Uh, really neat project yesterday uh, that we got to go out and, um, and see a family just really blessed by the generosity of our community. And, uh, and, and so thank you for your participation and all that. We are excited that, it is, that it's, we're coming into fall. I mean, school has started and we're getting into new rhythms. And a part of me would say, you know, summer, we're stretched so many directions, but uh, there's a whole new season that we settle into in the fall, which is called football season, right? So we have a whole new distraction in life and a good one at that, one that we love. Um, we should probably just lay some ground rules as a church for the NFL season. So let's, let's just run through those just a little bit. First of all, this is important. Uh, you're welcome to root for any team you want as long as it's Seahawks, okay? So, so number one, you root for anyone you want as long as it's Seahawks. And then um, number two, if there's a game while we're here at church, you can do whatever you want. Check your phone, do your thing, see the score, but don't tell us what's happening because we'll just kind of have a standing arrangement that the game will be recorded at a couple houses. And after church, anyone that wants to head over and watch the game, we'll hang out together as a church, okay? So, um, so those are our ground rules for the NFL season. Uh, go Hawks. Yeah, yeah, don't tell us the score because we're going to go watch it later. Yeah, absolutely. So um, this morning, uh, we are continuing a study in the Gospel of Luke. We've spent uh, most of the last year uh, walking through the Gospel of Luke, just wanting to hear the story of Jesus, wanting as people from the community come and visit us as a church, we, we want them to hear a, a message about Jesus. We want them to know this man, Jesus, who has just transformed our lives in, in incredible ways. And so we've studied through the entire Gospel of Luke. We've seen as Jesus was born, as he was raised, we, we saw as Jesus began his ministry and was healing and teaching and thousands of people following. He called 12 apostles to be his followers, and, and uh, as a rabbi, he taught them. They followed him where he went, and their goal was to be like their rabbi, to do what their rabbi did, and to know what their rabbi knows. Um, and so, uh, so, so now Jesus has entered Jerusalem a few weeks ago, and, uh, and he's entered as a king, okay? He, he came riding on a donkey. It's a sign of a peaceful king. So he came saying, proclaiming for the first time, I am the king, I am the Messiah, I'm the one you've been waiting for, but he did it not with a show of 
of grand, you know, display, like, look at who I am. But he came riding on a donkey, declaring, I am a peaceful king. And so Jesus has come to Jerusalem. It's the final week of his life now. Over the last couple of weeks, we read as he had a last meal with his followers, and, and they broke bread together. And so we, we sat here in tables together, and, and we broke bread together and, and talked about uh, Jesus. And, and, and as he initiated this Lord's Supper, where in community we remember the death and, and um, the, the body and blood and, and resurrection of Jesus. And, and then uh, he, he went out to a garden to be alone and to pray, and, and Jesus spent time alone there. And it was there that one of his closest followers, one of the 12, betrayed him and brought a crowd of people to arrest him. And Jesus was arrested. And now today in Luke chapter 22, verse 66, Jesus' trial begins. And many of us are somewhat familiar with the story of Jesus' trial. Um, And many of us are familiar with what is going to play out in the trial, which is that day when injustice reigns. Many of us are familiar with times in life, in our own lives, or in our community, in our nation, or in the world, in in which injustice wins the day, right? We're going to see the story of Jesus uh, where where injustice reigns, and we're going to take a simple and practical look at the story as as we see, as we look at the characters and and resonate with some of the characters in the story, the chief priests and the teachers, um, the, the Roman rulers, Pilate and Herod, there's a crowd of people. There's a man named Barabbas, and then there's Jesus, and we're going to resonate with these characters and, and take a look at who are these people and, and how in my life do I see these principles played out? Because today as we read the story of Jesus' trial, I want to remember that, well, it was an event that took place 2,000 years ago. These kinds of injustices play out throughout history, that, that, that we live in a world in which these, these, these injustices continue to take place, and we're going to explore that this morning as we read. Let's, le- let's read together uh, Luke chapter 22, verse 66, and we'll just read through the end of the chapter um, and, and kind of set up where we're at in the story. At daybreak, the council of the elders of the people, uh, both the chief priests and the teachers of the law, met together, and Jesus was led before them. If you are the Messiah, they said, tell us. Jesus answered, if I tell you, you will not believe me, and if I ask, you would not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. They asked, are you the Son of God? He replied, you say I am. Then they said, well, why do we need any more testimony? We have heard it from his own lips. So we have gathered here, the first of our characters, uh, the chief priests and the, and the teachers of the law. These are the elders of the people. Now, Jesus came at a time in which Israel, uh, God's, God's people, the Israelites, um, had, uh, had, had lost sight of their calling. Remember when God made this covenant with Abraham, it was that um, you'll be blessed that you can be a blessing to the world. And so we read here a story about the elders of these people, the Israelites, who have arrested Jesus. Now, for some time, they've been out to get Jesus. They've been looking for ways to trap him in his words. They've been looking for ways to get rid of him. Because this corrupt corrupt system has come to serve the highest in the system, rather than to be the blessing to the world that it was designed to be. The people in power are maintaining the power. They get all the respect and the glory and the wealth. And yet Israel now is, is in a broken state. They're living under Roman rule. They, they don't have their own king. They're no longer their own nation. They're a broken people. And the leaders they do have have become corrupt and lost sight of God's plan for their nation. And so these chief priests and the teachers, they call Jesus in. 
and they ask the exact right question. Are you, are you the Messiah? They say, if you're the Messiah, then, then tell us so. Let me propose that they're asking the exact right question because, you see, if, if they believed him to be the Messiah, then he wouldn't be arrested and there wouldn't be a reason for the trial. You see, their question, they've already predetermined the answer to. They don't believe Jesus to be a Messiah. They want to hear it out of his mouth so that then they can call him blasphemous and arrest him and have him crucified, right? So they ask the exact right question because Israel was waiting for a Messiah. They wanted a savior. They wanted someone to come and to rescue them from the hands of Rome and a king to sit on their throne again. And the Messiah has come, but he said, I'm a peaceful king. I'm not what you expect. And so they ask him, so are you the Messiah? And he, and he kind of just doesn't answer them, right? He says, from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. And I was re- as I was reading and, and, and spending time in this text this week, I was struck by the term, the mighty God. He says, the Son of Man, speaking of himself, will sit at the right hand of a mighty God. And I asked myself, where is the mightiness of God in this story? What an ironic place for him to refer to God as mighty. On the day that injustice reigns, on the day that a rigged trial will condemn Jesus to death, but he speaks of a, of a mighty God, a God that has a plan much bigger than, than the moment, the hour in which darkness would reign, as Jesus referred to it last week as we were talking about. They asked then, are you the son of God? And he throws the question back at them. And this is a curious place for me. He, he says, well, will you say that I am? He's going to respond the same way when we get to the, the part about Pilate. And, I, and I'm curious, why doesn't Jesus just say, yes, I'm the son of God? He, he turns it back to them. And I think there's this interesting play on words and conversation in which Jesus says, well, who do you say that I am? Right? He lets their words about him stand rather than speaking for himself. And to me, this was a fascinating place that I think we begin to resonate with the text because let's be honest, at the end of the day, Jesus allows our word to reign. Right? At the end of the day, I get to make up my mind however I want. Jesus would love to guide me in that process, but so often I live my life in a way, like the, like the chief priests and the elders here, who have predetermined their understanding, who already know the answers of right and wrong, and their word will stand. Jesus will allow it to be what they say. You can be convinced of what you want, and they'll hang him on a tree while he remains silent on the subject. And I think in my life, I want to be different than, than what I see out of these men who, who choose their understanding and their predetermined conclusions rather than sitting at the feet of Jesus. Remember, not long ago, Jesus is standing on a mountainside and thousands of people sitting and just listening to the words from his mouth. But not these men. These are the men that have decided already what they believe about Jesus and have decided already what his fate should be. And so they ask him, are you the son of God? And he says, well, you say I am. What do you say? Let, let it be as you say. And, he continu- and, our, and our story continues in uh, chapter 23. And, and I'm going to read through kind of a big chunk here as, as, we, um, as we explore this trial that's, that's taking place. Uh, Luke 23, then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. And they begin to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payments of taxes to Caesar and claims to be the Messiah, a king. So Pilate asked, 
are you the king of the Jews? Jesus says, you have said so. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests in the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. But they insisted he stirs up the people um, all over Judea by his teachings. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at the time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased, because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. For what he had heard about him, he hoped to see um, him perform a sign of some sort. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him, dressed him in an elegant robe. They sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. Pilate called together the chief priests and the rulers of the people. And he said to them, you brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have, I have examined him and in your presence, and, 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 I have found him, and I have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. You can see he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I'll punish him and then release him. But the whole crowd shouted, Away with this man! Release Barabbas to us. Barabbas had been thrown into prison for insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! For the third time, he spoke to them, Why? What crime has this man committed? I have, found, I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and release him. But, they sh- but, when, uh, but with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant them their demand. He released the man who had been thrown in prison for insurrection and murder, and the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. So Jesus goes on trial before um, the Roman authorities, Pilate and Herod. You see, the Israelites, they didn't have the authority under Roman rule to crucify someone. They didn't have the authority to put someone to death. And so, so they knew they had to go through Rome to accomplish what they wanted. Although in other Gospels, you can read that there's plots to have him killed on the way between his, his trial. But, but see, they wanted to go through the, the, the public humiliation of a trial. They wanted once and for all for the story of Jesus to be squelched. Isn't it fascinating now 2,000 years later to know that they accomplished exactly what they intended and man did it not squelch the story or the power or the witness of this man Jesus. Isn't that incredible? And so, so they brought him before a man named Pilate who's there in Jerusalem. And, and they say, these words are fascinating. They say, we've found this man uh, guilty of subverting our nation. He opposes taxes to Caesar. For, for like the first and only time Israel would ever like say, yeah, we're a part of your nation, Rome. He's, he's subverting our nation, right? And they could be speaking of Israel to some extent as well. But notice how all of a sudden they're buddy-buddy with Rome because they have an agenda. They have an axe to grind. More specifically, they have a Messiah they want to crucify. He claims to be the Messiah and a king. 
And so Pilate asks, are you the king of the Jews? And again, Jesus turns the question back to him. Well, you've said so. That's what I'm here for, right? Again, Jesus silent in the face of opposition. And it doesn't end because when he goes to Herod, Herod's excited to see him. Like Herod's known about Jesus for some time. And he says, I want to see him perform a sign and I want to hear him teach. I mean, both Pilate and Herod are intrigued by this man, to say the least. But Jesus, he won't speak for himself and he won't show him a sign. And I wonder why. I mean, why not show the Roman authorities who you are? Show him your power. But Jesus says, I'm not going to play games. I'm not a sideshow at a circus that will entertain Rome. No, Jesus had a, a perfectly different agenda in this space and in this time. And so he remains, remains submissive, and he remains silent. And so Herod, well, he says, this guy's a joke. And so he turns him into that. He dresses him up like a king, and he sends him back through the town, back to Pilate where he began, uh, mocking him and teasing him as though he's a king because Jesus remains silent. And, and so we, we, have, we have the teachers of the law living in this corrupt system in which they gain. We have Pilate and Herod intrigued by this man Jesus, but unable or unwilling to step up and and actually listen to the man, trapped by some of the cultural challenges and trapped specifically by our third character, the crowd, this crowd of people. And and I'm fascinated by the crowd in this story because, remember, we were talking about the Sermon on the Mount not long ago, thousands of people were sitting just to listen to the words of Jesus. I'm curious, where are those people now? What's going on that the Israelite people are now chanting, crucify him, let the murderer go, let Barabbas go, because we want Jesus hung on a cross. Who are these people? And I'm reminded the way of, the, the way that group think can be so toxic. I mean, we've seen times in our nation, even recently, certainly throughout the world, in which the loudest, often most toxic voice in the room begins to multiply. And somehow people that a day before would have never thought these things or said these things find themselves caught up in a frenzy and a crowd enchanting the most toxic of things, right? That's the scene that we see here. And and, and I ask myself, I ask myself, to what extent do I let the crowds around me change my mantra in life? Do I, do I allow the crowds around me to dictate the things that we say and, and the things that we do? And so the crowd is chanting, crucify him. And three times Pilate speaks back saying, no, I have found no grounds to crucify him. He's here in my court. I'll do what I do. He'll be punished and he'll be released. But the crowds chant. And I can only imagine Jesus sitting still and sitting silent. Well, Pilate argues with the crowd, but the crowd is so much louder than him as they shout, no, he's, he's riling up the people. He's against Rome. He doesn't pay your taxes. Crucify him. He's the bad guy. And here's Pilate stuck in the moment with a conviction to release Jesus, but a crowd ready to riot. And so he gives in. And for the second time in this text, we see this idea. He surrendered Jesus to their will. 
And I'm struck by this. Like it, it, we talked about, at the end of the day, our word gets to stand. Jesus is not going to forcefully correct what we believe on a subject. We're invited to listen. We're invited to learn from him. But at the end of the day, we get to make up our mind on these things. He's not going to force anything on us. And again, here at the end of the story, Pilate, Pilate submits Jesus to their will. And I see Jesus is so passive in this passage. And a part of me wants a powerful and a dominant king-like savior, just like Israel wanted, right? Why is he so passive in the passage? But instead, we see Jesus surrendered to their will. We see Jesus willing to suffer what is to come. And I think there's something beautiful about his peace and his silence. Because in his peace and his sil- in his silence, and him not defending himself, we see the final character in our story who's never mentioned, but the absent voice of reason. Like, I want to know, where are the people in the crowd saying, this is wrong? Where are the people in the crowd saying, this is unjust? Where are the people in the crowd saying, Jesus taught about peace and about love? Why is he being treated in this way? Where where are those people? And I don't know. There must have been a few but they're quickly pushed to the back of the crowd and their voices silenced over the roar of the crowd that is gathered to see Jesus crucified. And so here's what I want to resonate on. As, as, we, as we see um, Jesus here on trial, I want to resonate with the absent voice in that place. And I think about the Tri-Cities, and I think about some of the injustices that are taking place. The way mental illness is so often dealt with through our legal system, through law, rather than treating the source of a problem. I think of the injustice and and the challenges of poverty and homelessness. I think about um, the way race sometimes segregates our community and and equal opportunities aren't available. I, I think of the way gender does that same thing sometimes in our workforces or our faith communities. You see, we live in a, in a community, in a world where voices are loud and dominant and injustice does get to reign at times. And I'm struck by the fact that so often that same absent voice is found here in our midst. And so friends, today as we, as we explore and, and are, are broken by the injustice that took place to Jesus, I'm struck by the fact that today, Still today, we have opportunity to, on the, on the side of Jesus, be a voice in that crowd that says, no, peace and love and hope are the way of Jesus. And these are the things I want to, I want to promote in our community. Right? These are the, these are the impacts I want to have. I want to live a life of love in a way that transforms people around me. I want to live a, a peaceful life in which people see the surrender and the mercy and, and the love of, of Jesus. That's, that's what I want for our community. That's what I, I want for our lives. So often, even as Christians, I'll, I'll call myself and all of us, and, and, and maybe it applies to you, out on this, we, we respond to injustice or intolerance of others with just as much intolerance and just as angry of words as the world around us. But I'm struck by a Savior, by a Messiah, who could sit peacefully through a process and who gave room for a voice to speak up on his behalf but no one did. 
So friends, as a church and as followers of Jesus and as a faith community, our churches and our followers of Jesus throughout the Tri-Cities, I pray that we can be the answer to that absent voice in the room in a community. That we can be people who promote love and justice and equality and the goodness of God amongst our community. Friends, I want to invite us to be that absent voice. I want to invite us to be agents of goodness and change and hope and hospitality and love in our community because that's the way of our Savior. Let's pray about that. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for a chance to explore um, the story uh, of, of Jesus' trial, a day when injustice would reign. And Father, um, as broken as the scenario is, Father, we're encouraged to know that your hand was involved in all of it. Father, that there are beautiful things ahead. And so, Father, today, as is, is, is I just resonate on the idea um, that no one was there to speak of, of truth and love and peace and mercy, Father, that, uh, that I, I pray that you will empower us to be voices of goodness and love and truth and peace in our communities. Father, teach us to be tolerant and to be loving when injustice reigns. Father, teach us to be a voice that speaks out for your love and for your goodness and for the rights of people that can't or don't speak for themselves. Father, may we be your agents, your ambassadors, uh, your people in the world around us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, friends, thanks for joining us today. Uh, It's been a blessing. I'm so excited for what's to come in the fall. I want to remind you, October 2nd is going to be our one-year anniversary. Really excited for that. Hope you'll invite some people. By the way, that is one of only two times in the year that the Seahawks are going to play at 10 a.m. I know, right at starting time. Isn't that painful, the timing of all that? But we're going to get through it. We'll have the game recorded after, after the food truck and all the festivities. Uh, We'll be watching the game together. I hope you'll join us. Hope you'll invite others to do that as well. Uh, Friends, thanks for joining us. Go Hawks, and uh, have a blessed week.